I, something something that I, I think we talked about earlier was also that feasting is very present. Um, you know, there's there's the preparation, of course, and, the, and there's the cleanup. <laughs> there's the cleanup of the, <laughs> of the feast. Um, but to feast, you have to be you have to be here uh, presently. You can, of course, be remembering and you can be looking forward. Um, and also, the feast is happening now. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. John Cal is a celebrity chef, at least among those who have participated in the Rabbit Room's Hutchmood gatherings in the past few years. His food-related essays slash orations are a Hutchmood highlight. In this final Habit Podcast episode of 2021, John Cal and I had a nice talk about feasting, fellowship, and other pleasures relevant to the Christmas season. John Cal, I'm so glad you're on the Habit Podcast today. Yeah, so glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. <laughs> so this is a season of feasting that we are in the midst of. Well, I guess it's a season of waiting. Anyway, waiting. Feasting. I know all the debate about that. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, let's talk about feasting, though. We'll we'll talk about waiting. So if waiting comes up, great. But let's. I want to talk about feasting, creativity. You know, you're a person who is. You cook, you write, you do all kinds of interesting things, and the floor is open, John. The floor is open. Well, I mean, I know you said let's not talk about the waiting, but I, I mean, I think that is what gets us to the feasting, right? Like, we're not in a season of feasting all of the time. Okay. Um, yeah. Like, then then it wouldn't be feasting. It would just be like, oh, this is normal life, and this eventually we would be this is gluttony. Eventually we become yeah. gluttons if we, if we eat pizza every day. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, uh, we looked forward to in my family, like, Oh, we go to blockbuster, we go to blockbuster and then little Caesars is right next door. That was Saturday night. Uh-huh. Like we work, we work all week. We do our homework. I did my homework most of the time. And then Saturday night, my parents got to pick a movie. I got to pick a movie and then little Caesars is right next door. That was the feast. Yeah. Um, but if we went to Little Caesars every day, that probably wouldn't have been a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, you and I chatted last week when we were deciding whether or not to, to do this. And we got on yeah. the subject of, is there a difference between a feast and a party? Mm. Um, or rather that's maybe that's not the right question there. There's a, there's a kind of party that the spirit of the party is we're going to forget about life's troubles. Right. And there's a kind of party that says the spirit of this party is that we're going to, uh, enter into and enjoy and revel in the good things that life offers, even if life is hard and difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah, what's the Venn diagram of that of, of those sort of gatherings? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, there's a thing I think that feasting requires. Um, I, I, I guess there, there's a thing that sort of living requires, uh, or of, of sort of being alive is is what is truth. What what am I? Um, how do I, how do I engage in telling the whole story, including the parts? Um, that are maybe less desirable or that are harder or that are painful. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm just thinking about the season for, for Jewish people that's ending the, 
um, of Hanukkah. And, and the reason that feast is so amazing is because there wasn't enough oil, but then the oil lasted. Yeah. Right? Like if there's a story of like, oh, we lit, you know, we lit the lamps for eight days. Okay. You know, <laughs> you know, I, I turn, I turn on my electric lamp every night. <laughs> yeah, eight days is nothing. Eight days is nothing. Right. Like I've been turning on my lamp every day for the last, you know, three years that I've lived in this house. Um, the miracle is that there wasn't enough oil. Um, yeah. and that, and that's part of the story. And so when there, you know, the, the feast of, of so many of the, you know, these stories that we hear, um, both, you know, secularly and in the Bible are, there was something that happened. There was this sort of reminder of the, the condition of life, which is hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is reason to celebrate. There's this thing that we're celebrating. Um, there wasn't enough oil, but it lasted like, you know, I, I think of um, in Hawaii, uh, first birthdays were such a big deal. Uh, people, people in Hawaii have first birthday parties that are huge. You know, the size of some people's weddings. Really? And yeah, and and the, I and and I sort of, when thinking about that, people were like, "Oh, right," because kids died. Hmm. And so, if a kid made it to one year old, they were like, "This one's probably going to make it. Let's throw this big party." Um, and so, but that feast, that celebration, uh, is informed by the other thing. Mm-hmm. Kids didn't make it. That's hard. That's hard to think about that most kids died before they were a year old. And so when there was a kid that did, let's celebrate, let's, yeah. let's feast that. Um, and I think that's, that's an important part of what makes a feast a feast and not just a party, not just a, you know, and. And and then the problem is you can it's not a problem but you can reframe uh, you can reframe anything oh yeah we got pizza every Saturday night. or it's like man we worked really hard yeah and then we got and then we got pizza um, I I'm reminded of um, I went to an Adventist uh, college mm-hmm. uh, Adventists celebrating um, uh, the same Sabbath as the Jews do or uh, the same time frame at least Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. And something my chaplain would talk a lot about was the Sabbath commandment uh, in the Ten Commandments. And he said, we forget the first part of the command. We, we talk about rest all the time. But um, we forget the part that says six days you should labor and do all your work. Like that's also part of the commandment. Yeah. Do your work. Like do all of it in six days and then rest. Um, and so there's feasting and then there's the other part. There's the yeah. other part also, which, which helps inform the feast. Yeah. Um, so there, yeah, there's, and then there's the idea of feasting to remember, Mm. you know, so so many of the feasts, uh, the, the purpose of the feast is to remember some, yeah, some event in the past, some provision in the past or, or some triumph in the past. Uh, I, I, I recently heard an interview with Andrew Garfield that I loved. Um, I was on one of the sort of late night talk shows, Jimmy Uh Fallon or something. And um, someone was, they were talking about how his mother died recently and he was talking about grief. And he said, um, uh, my paraphrase of it is he said that grief was all of the unexpressed love 
he was like, I have, I've, I have so much love for my mother that I'm not going to get to express anymore. And that's what grief is like. Um, and he, so he said, I hope I grieve forever because I have so much love for her, huh. um, which was so wonderful. And, he, and, and, and he sort of said, um, he's like, and that's all of us, right? We never, we are never going to have enough time, uh, with these people that we love. Um, you know, they are going to die and we are going to move on and that will happen to us as well. And, um, I love that idea of, uh, sort of even in grief, there's celebration. Like I'm celebrating mm -hmm. in my grief, the love that I still have for this person, um, that I've yet to express. Yeah. It's like a, like a phantom limb almost. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And I, I love that as part of feasting, the, the remembering, um, I, something, something that I, I think we talked about earlier was also that feasting is very present. Um, mm, yeah. you know, there's, there's the preparation of course, and, the, and there's the cleanup, <laughs> there's the cleanup <laughs> of, the, <laughs> of the feast. Um, but to feast, you have to be, you have to be here, uh, presently. You can of course be remembering and you can be looking forward. Um, and also to the feast is happening now. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not something you can sort of put off later. Uh, you know, it's like trick-or-treating the day after Halloween. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Then you're just a beggar. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I was looking for a, I was looking for a book that I probably won't be able, won't be able to find. Um, but uh, Joseph Pieper talks about the idea that, that the precondition of the feast is to approve of the world that you find yourself in. In some way, mm. right? I mean, obviously, we right. don't approve of everything in the world, but totally. but we a a condition of feasting is I'm going to um, celebrate the world that I find myself in, um, right? As it is, yeah, as it is, yeah. Um, and in so doing, perhaps provide a foretaste or a a uh, a premonition of mm. what the world can be, but we're still making a feast out of the materials of the world as it is. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, you know this about me, but I'm, I'm a little bit curmudgeonly about holidays, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> of all kinds. <laughs> uh, and I think the thing that's wonderful about most holidays, most of the time mm -hmm. Uh, is that they do just that, you know, it, it, there's, um, you know, Thanksgiving probably in Canada a little bit more than the U S but Thanksgiving Canada is very much like, Oh, let's celebrate harvest. It's still about that. It's the, uh -huh. there's the, there's the end of the season. There's this abundance of food. Um, you know, it's right before it's right before winter when there is, there just is going to be less. Mm -hmm. Um, and let's, ce let's celebrate right now. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Easter in, in most cultures, that idea of Easter of, oh, it's springtime, there was death, um, and now there is life. Let's celebrate. Um, let's celebrate the right now, the reminder that life begins again, um, which again, you can't do in summer. If you had that celebration in summer, it means something different yeah. um, than it does when you're celebrating it right when the snow is starting to melt and the daffodils are, are poking up. Um, and so you have to be present for those things uh, to really feel, um, to engage in the impact of, of the feast. Yeah, that's good. And 
you know, I, I do. I, I, I love the, the winter solstice. I'm, I'm very conscious. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, I know mm. the days are dark, but it's like, but they're not going to get it. You know, it's not going to get dark any earlier. Right. Anymore, you know, and I can, I can, I can make it knowing that the days are getting a little longer. Right? And in Nashville, we're so far east in the time zone that it gets early. You start really early. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really hurts my feelings. Um, but then it gets better. You know, one thing that I find, I, um, that I find interesting about the solstice or, or this time right around the solstice, it's like, um, it's like people forget. What you know, it was like, well, that was just last year. People were like, oh, it's it's so dark. It's getting so dark so early. And I'm like, right, but that was just a year, you know, that yeah, this has been happening now for all of eternity. Um, you know, as long as humans have been sort of keeping a calendar, I guess daylight saving sort of mix that up a bit in some parts of the world. But it, you know, it's interesting that we uh we as humans are people who forget. Mm-hmm. Um that just happened. It just happened last year that it was dark at this time, <laughs> dark yeah. at this time, you know, and still we sort of stand at our windows or we're driving home from work and we're like, Oh man, it's so, you know, so dark. I don't know what's <laughs> happening. And it's like, well, it, you know, that just happened. Yeah. Um, and we're going to forget next year too. And so I think that's another thing, at least about um, the feasting that sort of happens annually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, Oh, right. I need to be reminded um, you know, if we think about uh, Sabbath as a feast, um, that, that one day a week, uh, it's like, oh, right, I'm going to forget. I need to be reminded. Yeah. Um, you know, to use, to use the old metaphor of it's like, oh, right, the, um, in Egypt, they just kept making bricks. They just uh-huh. kept making bricks and bricks and bricks, and they forgot what it was like to, to not make bricks. Yeah. Um, and so they needed to be reminded, uh, which is something um, as, as again, as sort of curmudgeonly as I am against holidays. Uh, it is like a nice, like, Oh, right. That's what, that's what this time of year is about. I'm supposed to remember this at this time. Um, yeah. Like you were saying about the solstice. Oh, right. Light comes again. Yeah. I'm not there. I'm not there yet. And it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about, how your life as a uh, cook and a chef yeah. informed and, and, and a person who thinks about feasting a lot, um, how that informs your work as a writer. Hmm. I, I, I think one thing that's hard about being a writer um, is that you have to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there's a thing that, you know, when I'm reading my own work or when I'm reading other people's work, um, you know, there's sort of a, a lie detector that happens and you don't know, you know, it's like, you don't know how, you know, but this doesn't feel true to life. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. and then you're paying attention to that more than you're paying attention to the story. Um, yeah, I think, I think with, and, and, and sometimes you can get away with it is the thing. <laughs> sometimes you can get away with it. Uh, and since I write a lot of nonfiction, mm-hmm. um, you know, I used to do a lot of newspaper work and now I do a lot of sort of essay and memoir work. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm often having to tell the truth about myself. Yeah. Which is something that most people are not accustomed to doing. Mm-hmm. You know, we go on job interviews and you say, no, you present the best version of yourself. Yeah. 
Uh, and that's not, that doesn't make for the best writing because it's not entirely true. Yeah. I, I think the way that food informs that is that there is less buffer in food to lie. Um, food comes down to, do you like it or do you not like it? Like food comes down to, is it good or not good? Uh-huh. Um, and that's different, you know, that's different for everyone, uh, whether or not it's good. And there's no, no one sort of confuses food beyond that. There's no, there are no other layers. <laughs> um, of, wait a minute. Of, wait a minute. I, I, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So the, the there, there are these food scientists. Sure who makes stuff that makes your tongue think it tastes good yeah in your brain yeah. and and those same parts of your brain that are supposed to tell us hey this this is good you're doing a good thing by eating this yeah it's telling us a lie like mcdonald's sure is lying to me oh you mean like health wise like well like nutritionally, yeah. it's not good well, for you. I, I don't, I'm just not quite ready to say, I mean, like the, the, the spray cheese stuff, you know? Mm, yeah. That's, that's Love stuff that tastes stuff. good. Yeah. Yeah. That stuff tastes good. Yeah. That was hotel food for us when I was a kid. Like you'd <laughs> yeah. go to a, What's it called? Cheese Whiz. Cheese Whiz, yeah. Uh, is that easy, like, easy cheese. Okay. Easy cheese. All right. All right. Yeah. Um, well, are are you not willing to to make some kind of uh, because because cheese whiz or easy cheese whatever tastes good? Mm. Is that the only level at which I need to be? I, I, we, we can't uh, be, be cognizant of food. What's that? Yeah, be, I mean, do you there, mean, is that the only level that you need to be cognizant of food at, whether or not it tastes? Well, good? I, I don't. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, can, I guess here's what I would say about that. Without getting into the science of, of, sure. of, of I mean, I have to put science in quotation marks when I'm talking about nutrition because it changes every yeah. time I turn around. Um, yeah. But is there, so leaving, leaving nutrition out of it and even leaving health, sure. leaving health out of it. Sure. I feel good about, uh, about being a grown man liking cheese whiz. Yeah. Why here's So here's my question back to you. Why wouldn't you? Um, because I think maybe it mm-hmm. is taking me farther away from the realities of the world. Right. I mean, I, I was made in such a way to, uh, it, it, the fact that cheese whiz can make me less inclined to, okay. okay. Yeah. From what I understand, crystal meth. Right. Also, right. it makes you feel good. And it totally, and it, but then it deadens your ability to enjoy reality. Right. And that's my so, concern. I know. Who, who, knows, who knew we were going to talk about crystal meth today? Um, <laughs> so, here's the thing about meth, though. Um, if you are a person, uh, and I, I, I again, that's my like bare knowledge of science behind this. Uh-huh. Um, I have a friend that used to, I have a friend who's a nurse that used to work at a methadone clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so people come and can take, uh, the substances safely while, uh, you know, without mm-hmm. sort of judgment or, um, by the time you get to crystal meth, 
<laughs> you are unable to make logical choices um, about whether or not you are going to take it. Uh-huh. Right? You're addicted to crystal meth. And that is the truth of what's happening. Okay. Um, so, and there's sort of no way around that. There's no, there's sort of no way around saying like, the truth is I'm addicted to crystal meth. Uh-huh. Like okay. there's the, there's the dot. Um, what I love about food is there is very little way to lie about food. Um, meaning I'm going to bring the nutrition thing back into it. Okay. We right. can all be, we can, we can be drinking kale smoothies and maybe there are some of us who like kale smoothies. Yeah, right. Um, no judgment for people who like kale smoothies. <laughs> and for those of us that don't, we are very cognizant that we are drinking the kale smoothie for our health and not for enjoyment. Okay. Like we're aware that I am doing this because I, it's doing something for me. Um, it's doing something sort of for, for my, you know, my, my important squishy insides. Mm-hmm. Um, and not because I'm like, yum, kale smoothie. <laughs> In fact, so many of the people that I know that enjoy kale smoothies are not just, you know, having blended kale and ice <laughs> in a glass. They're also putting apples and bananas and a little bit of honey and vanilla right. almond milk so mm-hmm. that they enjoy it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, my point about food is that, um, if we are truly engaging in our food, there is very little beyond sort of the simple, do I like it or, or do I, do I not like it? And that doesn't mean we eat it or we don't eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But we know the truth about the food. Um, and, 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 and we are, I, I think the thing about food that's fascinating is we are unable, at least for very long, to lie about it. Um, you know what, uh, I mean, what the statistic of like, uh, there's a statistic that I just saw recently. Uh, most people who go on diets regain the weight in two to seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, because we can't, um, we can't engage in sort of going against our food preferences for that long. Yeah. You can push uh, the beach ball down, <laughs> but it's going to pop up. Puts puts right. all of the surface, but it's going to pop back up. Yeah, we can all be polite at dinner, right? We can all be <laughs> polite when we go to someone's house and they give us, you know, a spinach salad that we don't like or whatever it is. Um, and we can't do that every night. Eventually, yeah. you know, after that after that dinner party that we didn't like, we're going to swing by Taco Bell on the way home or whatever the place is, <laughs> whatever the place we love is, and and we're going to eat that instead. And for me, how that informs my writing is that for it to be good, I can't lie for very long. I have mm-hmm. to get to the place where I say, um, oh, right, my family bought Ritz crackers and Easy Cheese uh, when, we went, um, when we went on vacation, and that was, the ho- that was hotel room food. Yeah. Um, and, the, and for me, the wonderful sort of window to storytelling that food has given me is that since food is so hard to lie about, mm-hmm. um, it's like one step closer to me telling the truth. Hmm. Yeah. If I tell you the truth about my, you know, uncouth sort of low, <laughs> low social status, easy cheese, 
um, you know, so then it's a little bit easier for me to say like, oh, right, for a while we were poor. And when we stayed in a hotel, it wasn't a fancy hotel. Um, you know, it was the Motel 6. Yeah. Uh, and then I also get to tell the story of like, oh, even when we stayed in fancier hotels, we still bought Easy Cheese because that's who we yeah. were. Yeah. Right? So we weren't, we weren't people who had money our whole lives. We were people who came upon money. Mm-hmm. But on the inside, we still craved Easy Cheese. Yeah. Um, and that to me tells the more, uh, a, a fuller story, um, you, you know, which then if I bring that back to feasting is like, oh, right, it's not this. Like there is you're the making, now. You're, you're making us small hands. Right. Yeah. Oh, and it, this is audio. Right. <laughs> this is audio. I, yeah, it's not this tiny, it's not this tiny bit um, of the story. Uh, I am present in this. I am present. And also if I, if I um, take in, uh, if I widen the breadth of my view, uh, I'm able to see that there was not enough oil, but it lasted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. We were, yeah. yeah, we were, we are people who are in a fancy hotel right now. Also, we are eating easy cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's the, for me, that's the, that's been the biggest, uh, the biggest uh, help or the biggest influence influencer on, on tying food, food and writing together is f- it's really hard to lie in food. Food tells the truth. Yeah. Um, and that has helped me become a better writer. Yeah. I, and, that, and what I would say to people in any sort of creative field is figure out how to tell the truth with whatever, um, with whatever you're creating. Mm-hmm. With, uh, you know, with an audible membership, you get these, uh, books that are that are included and so i end up oh, with right. things i wouldn't you know choose and i've recently listened to two memoirs by celebrities mm. that were so obviously efforts to um whitewash you know people with, with don't have they didn't have great reputations and their effort to say well here's my side of the story in in ways that aren't quite that weren't quite that uh, they were trying to be more subtle than that. And yet it didn't feel subtle at all. You know, mm-hmm. these people who were uh, not committed to telling the truth in these stories, like they had an agenda that right. you said earlier that, that you reach a point, you know, just a little whiff of untruth in a, in a piece of nonfiction taints the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, and um, I, I, I hear it's it's so tempting in writing memoir or you know personal essays just right. to, just to make a little bit of an adjustment to make yeah, yeah. the story a little bit better or to make me not look like such a jackass or whatever right and it doesn't end well and you think you're getting away with it and I guess sometimes you can get away with it I'm, I'm not saying you can never get away with it but uh, but the problem is you don't you never know when you're not getting away with it. Yeah. Yes. Just yesterday I was working on um, a section of an essay where uh, I talk about the three sets of knives that I've owned over Mm -hmm. my professional career as a chef. Um, And three sets of knives is also a lot. Most chefs are like, Oh, here's my set of knives. (laughs) and I take really good care of them. (laughs) Um, I should not own three sets of knives. I own three sets of knives. Um, 
And I got to the third set of knives, the knives that I, um, actually the only set that I purchased for myself. My first set was purchased for me by my father. Mm-hmm. Um, the second set was purchased for me by, um, a donor, uh, someone who sort of liked the work I did and wanted to do something nice for me, mm-hmm. um, donated some money. Uh, and I bought a set of knives with that. Um, the third set of knives I bought for myself and, um, they are very fancy knives. Um, I, 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 I write in the essay that, um, I bought them on disc, like they were on clearance and I was teaching cooking classes at the moment. So I got a professional discount, um, on these knives. And even sort of with that discount, the knife, the, the knife set costs more than a month's rent. Uh-huh. Wow. Um, and I, I was looking at them online, uh, online yesterday, sort of what they're, um, you know, and they've, uh, they've appreciated in value. And I was oh, like, really? Oh man. Yeah. And I, um, just for context, uh, like, uh, it's a set of eight knives. Um, and one of them was like $500, which was, which was more than I think my first set of knives cost, you know, <laughs> like wow. one, how many cans I, and of I was, cheese can you buy with $500? Right. How many cans of cheese? Not that many. Just uh, side note. I was, I wanted easy cheese like sometime in the last year. And so I was looking for it and, uh, <laughs> and you know, I was at the grocery store and I was like, how is this easy cheese? Five fifty. Um, I was like, what is the, you know, what is this? I can buy real cheese for, for cheaper than this. The point of easy cheese was that it was inexpensive. Um, but, but I, you know, I was, so I'm, I'm writing this, this paragraph about the knife sets I've owned and like, there wasn't a way to frame it. Right. There was like a, Oh, right. You were frivolous and bought this thing that you didn't need. And actually, since I've purchased it, I've used it so little because I'm, I'm, I'm sort of afraid to use it. Like, I don't want it to get messed up. It's, like, too pretty. My other night set of knives was fine. <laughs> like, um, you know, which was so fascinating for me to, to, to be doing that thing that you were talking about, right? Like, there isn't a way, there wasn't a way that if I'm telling the truth in the story, I, I have to admit that I was being frivolous. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which I, I hope part of art, not all of art, I don't think art needs to be utilitarian. I hope part of art compels people and compels society forward. Um, and that can only happen from a place of truth. Mm-hmm. Um, we, can't, we, can't, uh, we can't grow and learn if I'm still trying to convince myself that I am not sometimes frivolous. Um, <sighs> that I am not yeah. sometimes concerned with my image. Yeah. Um, I have to start from that place. Uh, you know, the, the, it, the Christmas story, I, I, I can go there. Uh, <laughs> how I think how we celebrate the Christmas story and the parts of the Christmas story that we focus on um, really inform how then we celebrate it, how we, how we feast. Um, which the, you know, we, you know, which then sets us up for the rest of the Christian calendar. How do we, from this point, then continue on with the story? Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and the trick is there are lots of facets, right? It is true that, um, that God came in glory, that there were angels and they were singing, that there was a star that, um, you know, that, 
that wise men from the East came to worship and, you know, brought gifts of gold and frankincense and murder. Those things are true, you know, and, you know, and it's also true that there was like some sketchy marriage stuff going on <laughs> between marriage Joseph stuff. and Mary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 There were, there were some, you know, there were some like immaculate conception that people maybe didn't understand, yeah. um, you know, at the time, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's true that they, that they were cast out of, of, um, of staying in the end, you know, it's, it was probably a cave, you know, that's where the savior of the world was born was in a cave. Um, you know, it's true that, uh, it's true that they were born in, in the middle, that he was born in the middle East, that he you know, was a, was a person of color. Those things are also true. And how do we let, um, let the fullness of that story then inform how we feast? Um, you know, the, the, um, Jill Phillips sings it, but sort of that brilliant line and behold the Lamb of God, right. It was not a silent night. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we, if we let ourselves, um, ruminate on that as part of our feasting, we're feasting about this event, um, that was all of sort of the, uh, the sort of beauty of stars and gold and wise men and Kings and also was not a silent night. How does that inform how we feast? Are you about to answer that question? Oh yeah. I, I, if you, I mean, if you, if you haven't answered that question, that'd be great. I'm still looking, I think for, (laughs) for, for how to do that. Um, I, 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 I recently heard, um, I recently heard a pastor talk about um, our shelf getting bigger was sort of his, his metaphor of um, how do we keep two true things next to each other on the shelf? Mm-hmm. You have to make, you have to make the shelf bigger. Hmm. So how do we keep on the shelf sort of the, um, the idea of Christ as helpless baby um, turned away in a cave, um, you know, to sort of, uh, minority, socially outcast, people of color parents next to the idea of Christ as king um, and glory. And, um, and if you make the shelf too small, uh, then you can only look at one of those things, mm-hmm. which then negates the other thing, which isn't true. Yeah. Christ was not only. Uh, was not only helpless baby. Also, Christ was not only uh, sort of power and glory, um, you know, and light. There were there were two things, and they existed together. Yeah. Um, and it and uh, for most of us, me included, it's it's easier to just look at the one thing. Yeah, or take turns looking at the two things. Or take turns, right, or take turns. Um, and how do I look at both things at the same time and sort of wrestle with um, with those both of those things being true? Uh, I, you know, I think that's, um, that's what helps me be a better feaster uh-huh. <laughs> um, and not just a glutton and not just a partier and not just someone who is forgetting uh-huh. um, pain. Uh, not forgetting the things of life that are a little bit harder. 
uh, yeah, I think, um, yeah, how do you do that? I mean, I, yeah, do I have an answer? I don't know. How do you do that? I'm, a, I'm, uh, I'm asking also. Well, okay. So one aspect of feasting that we haven't, uh, that perhaps been implied, but we haven't talked about sure. is the idea that, that feasting brings bridges, bridges, people connects people, mm. you know, um, and maybe that's a, that might be relevant to what we're talking about here, right? I mean, the, yeah. the stereoscopic vision of Christ in glory, you know, Jesus in, in a manger requires, you know, as we said, it's not, you look at one, then you look at the other and, and, you know, somehow you have to have the stereoscopic seeing both at the same time, which then becomes 3D, like, like the old view, view master things that if you, you know, right. Put them together, they become three-dimensional. Um, that also requires um, a bridging of two different parts of our imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're doing this off the top of our head here, John. So who knows how if, if this is this is something we're going to be able to. Who do. knows? Yeah, but, but but I feel like that idea of bridging, which is so important to, um, and you know, the, the, the idea of paradox that is central to Christian theology and, and a Christian view of the world, um, is also exceedingly relevant to the creative life and to creative work. And is also related to, um, the way we connect to one another, you know, and that love, you know, uh, uh Chesterton talks about the idea that, that, um, love isn't a mixture of, of red and and white into pink, but rather love somehow manages to say there's red and there's white, and we can stay red and stay white and still love. Right. Um, which am I? Yeah, I, I, I yeah. no, no, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I, I think the thing for for me the the maybe an illustration of of um, of all of those things coexisting, uh, uh, as it regards to feasting is that, uh, you know, if, if I'm thinking about the, uh, the Eucharist, um, mm-hmm. if I'm thinking about that feast, um, it's a feast that everyone's invited to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this idea that all of the, the disparate parts come together, um, at, at the table. And, um, if I'm thinking about feasting in terms of community, uh, at a feast, everyone's invited, mm-hmm. right? And whatever, theoretically, whatever is happening with all of those people, um, we are still coming together um, at the feast. And so if I'm, you know, I, if I'm looking at, if I'm looking at a Christmas party, which not is not always a feast, <laughs> we'll keep we'll keep those ideas separate. If I'm thinking about a Christmas party, you know, there's the person who comes um, who is like stressed from work. There's the person who comes who is like, oh yeah, man, I'm gonna get to see all my friends. There's the person who comes who is sitting in the corner and quiet. There's the person who is like fiddling with uh, the stereo the whole night. There's the person <laughs> that <laughs> just wants to play games. You yeah. know, there's the person who's in the kitchen. All of the all of the parts are there together and they are what make up um, the flavor and um, the flavor and the community of that feast. Right. Uh Uh, You know, 
the person who the person who is at the stereo fiddling with it all night is someone who is kind of annoying to me. Um, <laughs> also, without that person, the music is different, right? Without that person, someone puts on you know the Mariah Carey Christmas album, and then it's just on repeat the whole night, <laughs> uh, and it makes the part and it makes the party feel different. Yeah, um, and so uh, it, you know, and the thing about then the Christmas story is that all of those people came together to celebrate this thing. And some of them not, yeah. not even knowing what the celebration was about. Yeah. Um, they were like, oh, I think I just got to go, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think I just got to go to this thing. Uh, and, I, and I think that, and to me, that's part of what makes a feast a feast is all of the disparate parts um, being able to come together uh, to celebrate something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, I am, I am, I am not from the South, so I, I don't, I am not, um, I'm not intimate with this history, but I, re- I recently saw, uh, something recently that was talking about the history of barbecue uh-huh. and one of the places that barbecue, uh, from my understanding, um, was, uh, often happened was at the tobacco harvest, um, and uh, the commentary was at the tobacco harvest, everyone was equal mm. because there was all this work that needed to happen at once. Um, oh. So at the tobacco harvest around barbecue, everyone was equal um, because they all came together uh, for one, one purpose. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's part of a, fe- that's part of a feast. Uh, and, you know, which, which often happens around holidays, which often happens around memorials or remembrances. Um, it's the disparate parts coming together uh, to share um, in an experience, uh, to share in a celebration together. And the disparate parts don't need to be answered. Right. You know, yeah. there, there wasn't the shepherd, uh, you know, and historically speaking, they weren't there at the same time. Uh, but, but the shepherd wasn't upset at the wise man for being yeah. richer than he was. Yeah, yeah. And the wise man did, you know, wasn't like, oh, shepherds, I don't want to, you know, like associate with them. It was like, oh, right, we're all here together as we are, the truth as we are in the present, Mm -hmm. um, to all engage in this thing. Yeah. So earlier when you you proposed, there's Mm. Christ in glory, there's the baby in the manger, you know, how does that inform our feasting, Um, you know? and I was trying to get an answer out of you and you're trying to get an answer out of me. Yeah. You know, a feast isn't a, an equation. It's something that's enacted. And so right. we come together, we celebrate, we do, you know, that's not, um, you know, that's not the crypto quote from the, from the, newspaper where okay a equals actually t and you, you spell out the you, know, you decode the thing by you just participate right and and the fact that these two things aren't easy perhaps aren't reconcilable then you've just run up against paradox and that's just the way it is and the good news is in creativity and storytelling you know the, the whole point of a story is it creates a space for you to inhabit these two places at once or for, for two disparate things to inhabit one place. And that's just the nature of story, the nature of creativity. And the fact that there's no 
mathematical equation that can account for it. Nobody cares because we created, a, we've inhabited, you know, uh, this, or we've inhabited or enacted this thing. Right, and 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 the, I think where feasting, uh, I think where feasting gets toxic um, here, and I'll, I'm setting down my soapbox to step on it for just a second. Uh, I think where feasting gets toxic is when we don't engage, when we do try to equation it out and come up with the formula for feasting. Uh, you know, and for me, that's why um, I have such a hard time engaging with a lot of what happens around Christmas is because it be uh, for some people, it becomes equation. Oh, right. We get a tree. Okay, let's get the tree. Let's, um, you know, let's wrap presents. Let's buy this. We have to be eating this. Here are the things we have to be eating at the table for it to be a you know, for it to be Christmas. Um, where that is slightly different than saying, oh, I, ha I have this pie on my Christmas table because I want to remember my grandmother. Mm -hmm. This pie, when I eat it, reminds me of my grandmother. Um, and what she did, which is which is actually honestly part of what sort of made me have to think about my engagement this Christmas is because I have an Asian grandmother who never made a pie in her life. And so when people were like, what do you mean you don't have pie at Christmas? And I was like, well, I don't know. We My grandmother never made a pie. I don't know what that what that's about. Um, and I and I think that's what's tricky is that line between um, engage like. Uh, equationing it out, you know, for making it a formula of saying, Oh, we have pie that's Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I make this pie intentionally because I want to remember and celebrate. Um, is, is, is really sort of is, is hard to navigate because the action is the same. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I am doing, I am doing the same behavior. What's different is what's inside. Yeah. What's different are my intentions of, of feasting, um, you know, which brings back to something that we have talked about before is, is what, um, what, uh, what do my intentions bring to the feast? Mm. Um, yeah. and, and can we, can feasting happen unintentionally then, which was, you know, which <laughs> was something interesting to ponder. Yeah. Can a feast sneak up on you? Right. Can a feast sneak up on you? We've been talking a lot about intentional feasting and how do we, um, you know, how do we be purposeful in our celebrations? Um, yeah. When is a feast un unintentional? We're going to save that for next time, John Cal, because we have gone over our time. I Great. feel like we can go for hours and hours. I usually end with a question, who are the writers who make you want to write? But I'm going to ask you a different question, and that is... Sure. What are you going to eat for Christmas? I know well, you're a little suspicious, you're a little congratulatory about Christmas, and so maybe yeah. just tell us what what your what your plans are. So my Christmas tradition uh, for myself is that's like the one time of year I normally eat a steak. Huh. Um, that's that's the that's the one time of year I normally eat a steak. Uh, however, um, in the last maybe three years. Um, I've significantly, uh, I significantly lowered the amount of, uh, red meat I, I eat, uh -huh. um, and I actually don't eat meat very often anymore. Uh, mm. often just in celebration and feasting, do I, do I eat meat now? 
Um, so I don't quite have a plan for the for this Christmas. Uh, again, normally I eat a steak, but I didn't I didn't eat a steak last year, and I don't think mm-hmm. I'm going to eat one um, this year. Uh, I will try to bake something complicated. Okay, uh, that is something that I do on Christmas. Is I mm-hmm. try to bake something complicated um, that I haven't baked before, uh, like. Uh, a few years ago, I tried to bake a croquembouche, which is this like really fussy um, tower of cream puffs, basically, that you connect with uh, caramel into the shape of a Christmas tree. Um, so oh. I haven't decided what yet this year, but I will be baking something complicated as just a, a sort of celebration of my, um, you know, ability that's fine to celebrate that i sure. that i can bake and that i know yeah. how um and to sort of to try to grow yeah you know, to try to stretch it out yeah well good all right john this is fun thanks so much jonathan rogers always always great to talk to you always a pleasure all right see you thanks later for having me yeah bye-bye This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate. Special thanks as well to Taylor Linhart for letting us use her song Diamonds as the theme music for season three of The Habit Podcast. You can learn more about Taylor and follow her work at taylorlinhart.com. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.